Hello, everybody. If I have not met you, my name is Tim, but some people call me Tim Turn. Um, and yeah, as you may have noticed, I am not a youth, although sometimes I act like it. Um, but I do work with the youth, and that's pretty exciting. And some of you probably knew I worked with the youth before I said that. There's two dead giveaways. One is the dinosaur and the name tag. The second one is because when I woke up this morning, I had two immediate thoughts that were very important to me. Number one, I figured since I'm speaking in front of everyone, I should wear a nice shirt, which seems reasonable. Number two was, I bet lavender Crocs go really well with that. And henceforth, that's how we got here. So I get to speak to you guys, and then Riley will speak after me, and we're going to be talking about God's presence. And so I want you guys to begin just by thinking of the times when God's felt so close, right? And God's always there, but the times when it's just felt like you can reach out and touch him. Oftentimes for me, it's during worship, um, but a lot of other memories I have are in really hard times, when all of a sudden this peace just comes over me. And it's just this beautiful moment. Um, and I want to start by talking about the Old Testament, because I think... For a lot of the Bible, if you ask someone about God's presence, their immediate associations are going to be with the temple for a really long time. That's because God gave Israel, God's people at the time, the temple. Um, and this is where God's presence dwelled in a special way. God wasn't restricted to it. He's all around. But there's something different about the temple. And so that's where they went to engage with God. That's where they went to pray and they went to worship. You can look in like 1 Samuel and you'll find Hannah and she's praying in the temple. There's all these examples of that's just where they went for worship and prayer. It's not because God was, God was, of course, outside the temple, but there's just something special about the way he was uh, moving there. Um, but there's also this issue they run into where the temple is run by these priests. And a lot of times these priests are really great, but these priests are also people. And so sometimes they mess up. So even as early as Leviticus, you've got Aaron's two sons, and they, they mess up, and they end up dying. And you've got this continuously through the Bible. There's these priests, and they'll but kind of mess up a little bit, um, and that's not great. And then you get to Jesus' time, and at one point in his ministry, he goes into the temple, and he clears out the temple, and he flips tables, and he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a spot where people come, and they engage, and they interact with God, but it's become this den of robbers. It's become all about um, money. And then eventually, Jesus would prophesy about the temple's destruction, and you get to this spot where it's this really sad spot of, like, this temple was supposed to be this amazing place we go to interact with God, and it's like, what do we do now? Um, but Jesus begins telling people that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And there's this, all of a sudden this new hope of, oh, maybe we don't need the temple. Maybe God's going to come in us in this special way. And then later in Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. And there's this really cool idea that like, we get to be God's temple. That when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit like, lives inside of us. Which I, I think... I don't appreciate enough, like, this idea that God is, like, right here with me, like, his presence is here, the Holy Spirit is inside of me, is, like, one of the most amazing things ever. I think it's, it's often a little overlooked. And so today, I want to look at one of those spots where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to go to John chapter 16, verse 4 through 7. I'll give you guys a second to turn there, um, and also, I need a second to turn there, and then... Just to give some context, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's talking to them that they're going to encounter a lot of persecution, that people are going to come against them. And it's scary because he just tells them that eventually he's going to have to go away. 
Um, but he says, don't worry, because even when we encounter this persecution, the Holy Sp I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you, and it's going to be great. Um, so I'm going to start reading in verse 4. It says, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right? And the advocate there is talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and you might have some different words in your Bible translation for that. Mine says advocate. Yours could say comforter. It might say counselor. It might say helper. And I think for me, this was initially confusing because I look at advocate and counselor and I go, I don't honestly get how that's super related. Um, but the benefit of having taken Greek is I get to see the word there is parakletos. Um, and it's a compound word. All they did is they threw a preposition onto a noun. The first part of it, para, means alongside. It's often used like when Jesus is teaching alongside the lake. That's the word you'd use there. And the second word is kletos. And that means to be appointed for someone, uh, kind of. And when you put them together, it becomes appointed to come alongside someone is kind of a way of saying it. Now, I always heard of analogy of, of a boat with this. And what I told first service was if anyone, because I'm not a sailor, so I was worried I was wrong and this analogy didn't work. So I said, come up to me after service and you can be angry at me. And someone did come up to me after service. They weren't angry with me. They told me that supposedly this may have happened in the first century where you'll have this little boat. And this little boat is in a storm and there's all these waves coming around it. And this little boat is in danger of getting destroyed or sinking because there's all these stormy waves. What happens is a bigger boat will come alongside of it and to provide support. I don't know how you attach a big boat to a small boat. I imagine some sort of ropes, but it lets the big boat come alongside the small boat and then it can provide support um, for it. And supposedly, the big boat is what they call the parakletos. Or sometimes in English, we just say paraclete. Um, but that's this analogy of the Holy Spirit, that just like the big boat coming along the small boat, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside us and encouraging us and supporting us, and even maybe sometimes challenging us when we feel uh, super comfortable and just encouraging us to grow. And this, I think there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is always there, always with us, that everywhere we go in life, he's always right there, walking alongside us, always with us, always supporting, always encouraging, challenging, comforting, all those wonderful things. And I think this is a really revolutionary idea that affects, like, essentially all of our lives, I think. But a big one I want to talk about today is ministry, because that's meant a lot to me. Now, when I say ministry, I don't just mean like pastor. I don't just mean worship. I also mean like evangelizing. I also mean when I try to be nicer to my sister. I also mean when I try to help my parents out with my chores. All these things that God calls me to. Um, and that might be teaching. It might be worship. It might be evangelizing. But it might be being nice to my siblings. And I think what's been impactful for me is that when God calls us to something, when he calls us to do these things, we don't have to do them alone because we've got this Holy Spirit coming alongside us, going with us. And I think that's, that's been really huge in my life. And I want to encourage you guys just to think about that, this idea that when we go out and do ministry, like we're not alone, which is good because sometimes I mess up. Actually, a lot of times I mess up. Uh, and it can be scary for me because I go, I don't know if I want to evangelize. I'm worried I'll mess up. I'm worried I won't know what to say, um, frankly, because I don't really honestly know what to say a lot of the times. But this has been encouraging to me in the sense of, but it's okay. Because the Holy Spirit's right there. 
And it's okay. And it's not about me having the perfect words to say. It's not about me knowing everything. It's about me going with God and letting, like, watching God work. I think a lot of what ministry seems to be is, because God doesn't need us for ministry. He's never needed us. But he loves us. And so it seems like he says, he's like, hey, I'm doing this really cool thing. And it's going to be so great. And I'm so excited. And I really love you. And I would really love for you to be a part of this and to come alongside. And we can do this together. Not because as people we are perfect and know just what to do, but because God loves us. And he wants to do this alongside with us. And I think there's a lot of joy in that. I think a lot of times we try to bear the weight of the burden on our shoulders, bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. Um, and this has meant a lot to me. A lot of times I try to take on all the weight of the world and then I get really tired and I get really discouraged. And what happens when I get tired and discouraged is I drive to Walmart. I find something that I need to buy and I go there because the drive gives me time to think. Um, as a result of that, the Walmart parking lot is one of the most frequent places that God has like shown up in big ways um, in disproportionately, which I think is hilarious. Um, but regardless, there was a time, it was last year, and I was feeling super tired because I was doing all this ministry, and it was really hard, and I didn't know how I could keep going, and it felt, honestly, it felt really annoying. Um, and so I was in Walmart, and it felt like God just came alongside me and reminded me like, hey, like, this ministry is a blessing. This is something that you get to do with me. This can be a joy because you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to bear that weight. Let me do that. Let me focus on that. You just be here. Show up. Focus on doing this with me. And that's brought me a lot of joy. I think I found a lot of joy in ministry seeing it as not just something to do for God, but something to do with God. And it's just, I think, it's another opportunity to partner with God and to be in relationship and to see him do really amazing things even when, I mess up, and sometimes even through the mistakes, which blows my mind to this day. And that's what I really want you guys to leave with, is to really think about what does it look like to do things with God, and what is the joy of that, of getting to partner with God in these amazing things. And that's what I've got to say. Um, Riley's going to come up, and he's got the next piece of it, and I'm so excited. I got to hear it first service. It's wonderful. Thank you, Tim. The first service I logged onto my computer before I got up here. This time I didn't, so give me a second. Uh, me and Tim talked last night. Uh, that was like a third correspondence total. And Tim was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about the presence of God. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to talk about when God isn't present. And so it's like two different things, but I think they actually work really, really well together. Um, because it answers a lot of questions that we have. And a lot of times we hear, just like what Tim taught, like, yeah, the Holy Spirit is with us. God, like obviously in Jesus, Emmanuel, right? Like God with us. God's presence is with us, and we know that. But a lot of times we don't feel it. And we're, in our hearts, we feel far away from God. And sometimes it's our circumstances. We're distant from God because there are things that have our attention or there are things that worry us. So we spend our time rolling those things over in our minds. And we sometimes end up at the same spot that the psalmist does in Psalm 13, where he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? And in Psalm 88, he also repeats, but I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. 
Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Now I'm human. Uh, and so the fact that he can speak this, David or the psalmist, whoever it is, um, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and I can relate to it, means that you guys can probably relate to it too. That there are times when me, my name is Riley, by the way, I forgot to tell you that. Um, I feel like God is far. And last year especially was really difficult for me. I felt like God was so far away. There were things, relational problems. There was financial issues. There was my car broke down and I had to change the clutch in the middle of the snow. Like all these things that were just really big bummers. But it, it transcended that because it got into my heart. And I started thinking, where are you, God? I don't see you showing up in my life. Um, and alongside this difficult time, God gave me um, just a really, by his providence, kind of sent me on this journey of searching through the Psalms for the presence of God. It's really cool. Actually, most of the language we have for God's presence and the understanding we have of God's presence comes from the Psalms. And so I pretty much went through every single Psalm. I looked for the word presence. And I compiled all of my findings and I found two things. One thing that's important to know before we set off is that the word face... Panim in Hebrew is the word that we use for presence. So when we look at the Bible and the Psalms, a lot of the times it talks about seeking God's face. And what that really means is that we're seeking God's presence. Um, the psalmist wants to be in God's presence. They want to see God's face, but they feel cut off. And in this conversation of feeling cut off from the presence of God, the Psalms offers us some advice. Now, I'm not the one to tell you why, you're feeling distant from God. I don't think anybody can tell you that. A lot of times, you don't even know. Uh, when I sort of exited that season of my life, I still don't fully know why I was distant from the Lord. But what the Psalms can tell us is how we're supposed to live in light of that feeling of being distant. So I, uh, I did something very mature, uh, and I did four R's, so you guys can follow it down. So if you're note takers, this is for you. Uh, the first one is live righteously. This is the first element, the first instruction that the Psalms give us, gives us when we feel far from God. The Psalms are full of the concept that the righteous ones are those who are going to see God, to meet God, and to dwell in his presence. In Psalm 11, 4 through 7, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone. Burning wind will be the portion of their cup, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. You can read, the upright will behold, they will enter into his presence. And it's important here because God uses words, or the psalmist uses words of perception, which basically like their senses, right? So God sees us, he's aware of us, and he sees that there are two kinds of people. The one is a group of wicked people, and another is a group of righteous people. And the, the ones who are living righteously, those are the ones who are going to encounter God. And so when we're in a, in a season of feeling distant from God, we need to be careful to maintain our righteousness before God. Because a lot of times, and this happens in relationships, I think we can understand, if your spouse is distant from you emotionally, or if your best friend is stopped, is stopped talking to you, and you guys are feeling distant, what you're going to want to do is protect yourself. So you're going to withdraw from the relationship a little bit. You're going to step back. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. When he feels distant, we're like, if he's not around, why would I follow him? 
Why would I continue to live my life righteously, spending time in Bible study, spending time with the church body, spending time in prayer, if he's not going to show up? And so this is something we need to be careful about. In Psalm 73, and we're going to hop all around the Psalms, so just prepare yourselves. Um, the psalmist writes this about the wicked people. The wicked people say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? And this is the attitude we don't want. We don't want the attitude that says, God's so far away, I'm distant from him, he can't see me, I'm going to do what I want, because he's not going to care and do anything anyway. We don't want to do that. We don't want to let our emotional distance from God, our feeling of distance from God, reflect in rebellion in our own hearts. So that's the first R. The second R is repent. This one's tricky, because what I'm not saying is that if there is a, a emotional distance between you and God, or there are struggles in your life, that that is because you have sin in your life. It very well could be, but what we learn from Jesus, uh, when his disciples asked him about a blind man, like, what's this guy's sin? Why does he have issues in his life? Jesus doesn't list off a sin. He says, this man has no sin. It's not because of sin that he's this way. It just is this way. And so there are some situations in our life where, yeah, we are suffering. We're far from God, not because we've done something wrong, but because that's just the season we're in. But just because our doesn't need to be our sin that's separating us from God, we also need to be aware that sometimes it is. Sometimes our sin separates us from the ability to be with God. Now, what I'm not saying, again, is another little asterisk, is that your sin can separate you from God once you've been saved. Jesus is the one who has paid for your sin. And I'm not saying that you need, to be, you need to be perfect and then you'll be able to enter the presence of God and then you'll be able to feel emotionally close to him because then we're back at the law, right? We haven't brought ourselves, been saved into the new covenant if we think that we need to be perfect before we can be with God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are relational impacts to your sin with God, in your relationship with God. When you sin against God, just like if you sin against your, your wife or your husband or your best friend or your sibling, they may not run away from you, they may not hate you, but there isn't going to be harmony between the two of you. This is true with the relationship with God too. In Psalm 51, 10 through 12, David writes a repentant psalm because he's done something pretty terrible, okay? He did something with a woman that he did not have the authority to do, nor was it right in the eyes of the Lord. He killed a man to cover up the fact that he sinned. And then he writes this, create in me a pure heart. This is Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David recognizes that his sin impacts his relationship with God. He says, I've messed up. Don't let me be far from you. And that's so important is when we are looking at ourselves, we're evaluating our lives, we're trying to get back to the presence of God, we've got to search our hearts. And we need to be willing to acknowledge that our hostility to God has the capacity and the ability to make it harder to be close to him, just like it does in any relationship. Our third R is respect God's timing. When we feel far from the Lord, or his presence is far away, we feel very anxious, and this is rightfully so. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, but we're called to be patient. In Psalm 13, 1 through 6, it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I wrestle with my thoughts, having sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The periods of emotional separation from God, of when we feel like he's not there, even though we know in our heads he is, they can last a while. And there's no like ability for us to forecast, yes, next Tuesday I'll be over this. We need to be patient. We need to be patient. And it's a precarious time for us. Because what we want most is to be close with God. But we have to wait. Wait in righteousness, wait in repentance. Psalm 27, 14 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. And this next point, the last one, is remain hopeful. It's similar to the last one that builds off of it, but I feel like, felt like I need four points, so I added that one. Um, even in the midst of feeling far away, God is our greatest hope. And this is important because it kind of brings into perspective everything else. Psalm 42, 1 through 5 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Who can, when can I go to meet with God? My tears have been food at, during the day and during the night. Well, people say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What David is not looking for is for his circumstances to change so that he can get back to being close with God. He's not saying, give me food and give me water so that I can feel close to you again. He's saying, you are my food, you are my water. And so when we're far away from God, we have to remember that our hope is not in the changing circumstances that will then coincide with us feeling good again so that we feel good with God. It's even in the troubling circumstances, I can be with God and I will hope for that closeness with God. The mark of a believer is that they're willing to follow God to the ends of the earth. We've given ourselves up to him. We are reliant on him. He will sustain us. We look to him in hope not in our circumstances. When we feel uh, far from God, either because of our circumstances I just mentioned, or because of something in our heart, or maybe there was a tragedy in the family, and even our sin, right, can do that too, as we mentioned. We need to remember these things. That even though you might not know the answer, and again, I can't tell you the answer of why, but I can tell you that as you wait, live in righteousness, live in repentance, remain hopeful, and wait. Be respectful of God's timing. And then I want to end with this. God sees you. In Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, 24, he says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one, nor has he hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. God is perceiving your struggle. God is perceiving what situation you're in. He knows that you want to be near to him, and he loves that heart in you. Keep pressing on and you will feel the closeness that is true, but you can't perceive it yet.
Thanks, guys. Um, wow. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for how you're speaking. Um, it's so funny because we didn't talk, <laughs> the three of us. We just said we're going to talk about the presence of God. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. I get where they're all, they're just all super, this God's amazing. All right. So um, I grew up in the church and I always heard, you know, all I need is Jesus. It's all we need. It's all we need. And I'd be like, mm, seems a little silly, right? I kind of need food, water, like shelter. There's these other things that I need. Um, and I, I didn't understand it at all. And I remember, though, when after Emily was born, my youngest uh, came way super early. Both almost died. Very long story. Um, five months in the NICU and several years with the doctors um, after that. But we were about three weeks after she had been born, and my whole entire family had descended on our house for Thanksgiving, because that had already been planned. And we're, I'm coming home from the hospital, another day of them telling me she's not going to make it. Um, and, and I walk into my house, and there's a million people. And I'm like, where's my husband? Like, I, and they're just like, I don't know. I think he went into your room. So I go into my room, and I can't find him. I finally call out his name, and I hear this, here. And I walk all the way into our closet, and he's hiding in the closet. <laughs> and, and he's weeping, and just weeping. And I was, looked, I'm like, what? What? And he just turns the computer around, and he's writing an email to his family about how he can't protect his baby, and he can't save his baby, and he can't help his baby in any way, and that he's been stripped of everything that a father is supposed to do. And... We both just sat down, and then I wept, of course. Uh, and we were just weeping in that closet, and then we both just started praying. Like, Lord, we look, right? And um, there was a moment where the presence of God just fell on that place. And we both just sat there, like, trying to not look, right? Because am I going to see it with my eyes if I look? Um, but there was that peace that Tim was talking about. Utter peace. Not one thing changed in our situation. Nothing changed. He didn't heal her suddenly. He didn't do anything like that. He just said, I'm here. And it was actually true. <laughs> like All of a sudden I went, ah, it's true. All I need is Jesus. I don't need food, water, or any of those other things. Like, you're here. It's going to be okay. Um... And then more recently, uh, I've been reading. The Lord's been calling me into weird, fun things. <laughs> but I've been reading in Hezekiah. And if, or not Hezekiah, it's 2 Kings, about Hezekiah. Um, if you haven't read this story, it's uh, 2 Kings 18 and 19. You really, 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 really need to read this story. It's a phenomenal story. So King Hezekiah takes over, right? And one of the things that, scripture says about him is Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the, the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. 
from watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. And I was like, man, I wish, I'd love it if like that was the records of my, right? <laughs> That's what was said about me in Kings. But if you keep reading, and I don't, I don't have time to read it. I'm going to tell you the story, all right? You keep going. What actually happens is the king of Assyria comes back, and he takes all the land back, and he takes over the Israelites, and he sends them off, and they're in captivity, and, there's, it, and it's a bad, bad situation. The Assyrians were not nice people. Um, and now, and then you get into the situation where the whole Assyrian army is now surrounding Jerusalem, and it's completely around Jerusalem. And this is not a small army. We're going to learn that there's at least probably a couple hundred thousand of them around the city of Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah is in there. And they start launching a verbal attack against the Israelites, against King Hezekiah. And it is just, who are you trusting in? Are you really trusting? Are you trusting in Egypt? Are you trusting in the Lord your God? Are you trusting in, uh, in this God of the Israelites? Who's saved? Who has saved you? No one has saved you, right? I'm misquoting it. I better get in there. I don't want to misquote that. Let's see here. Uh, on what are you basing your, this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? This is the enemy speaking. The enemy uses so many words to come after us. So many words. And what we see is we see King Hezekiah and he goes and he goes into the temple and he's like, Lord, they're using all of these words. Like, what do you want me to do? And then God speaks to Isaiah, the prophet, and he sends over and he says, it's okay, I'm going to take care of it. And then, then they get an actual letter. So it doesn't stop. Isaiah's like, yeah, God's going to take care of this. And then the king, king of Assyria sends him an actual letter and is like, hey, 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 don't believe King Hezekiah when he says that the Lord's going to deliver you. I'm taking over this city. Don't believe King Hezekiah if he says that the Lord is on your side and he's going to do this. And he just lays it out. And King Hezekiah is like, I don't know what to do. So he walks into the temple of the Lord with the letter and he lays it in front of the Lord. And he just lays it down and he says, God, this is true. If you don't intervene, we're done. What he's speaking is true. It's, it's yours. And then God speaks to Isaiah and he says, tell him, I'm going to take care of it. I got this. All right? And I'm, I'm kind of amazed that King Hezekiah then went to bed. Because... I mean, I'd probably be arming my troops. Uh, but he goes to bed. And let me see this. Let's scroll down. I'm in chapter 19 now. Okay. And God has proclaimed, sorry. All right. He says, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, his sons killed him. All right. And 
God did all of it. They went to bed and God fought the war for them. Because Hezekiah took it before the Lord and said, I can't. And recently that I've been feeling like, I'm like, I said first service, the last girl, and I was like, I don't even know where that came from. But I feel like Elastigirl, she's the superhero, by the way, that can like stretch out and she can grab things. And and recently I've been like, okay, I'm gonna hold this together over here by grabbing onto this over here. And we're just gonna stretch and we're gonna pull it all together. And I'm, well, I'm gonna hold all of this together. And then it doesn't hold together. And God's like, or don't hold it together and let me be God. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't fit. Well, I found out this week that actually there's a psalm, and it is Psalm 46. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read it, though. Um, That most scholars think was written after they walked out and saw all the dead bodies around the city. And here's what it says. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in troubles. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I have been feeling for a really long time like the Lord is saying, hey, I am God. Will you let me be God? Will you look around you? Will you see all of the chaos? Will you see all of the stuff that is going on? And will you bring it in front of me and say, I can't. This is yours. It's yours and yours alone. And unless you intervene, it's pointless. So, (laughs) right? This is my challenge. My challenge to you, God is with us. That never changes. We know it. We know it as truth in our head. Many of us know it as truth in our heart. He's always here. So all of those things that we're holding on to and trying to run and control and do by ourselves... Lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> right? I am done. This is your job. You do this. And then be still 
if, if you're anything like me, this is the hardest part. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. When we are still, when we are trusting in him, he shows. All right. We are done. We're going to invite the worship team back up.